Chapter 3 of Dave Dashaway Around the World by Roy Rockwood. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Chapter 3 On the Wing. The constable stared at Hiram. He glanced at Elmer with half a scowl. Then he rubbed his head as if seeking for new ideas. Finally, a sort of sickly grin overspread his flabby face. "'You'd make a good lawyer,' he observed. "'Over the state line I am, sure enough, with no warrants served. "'Well, I'm not so sorry as you may think.' "'I'm glad to hear you say so,' declared Hiram. "'You'll be glad, too, when you come to know that the man behind the gun in this case is an unmitigated rascal.' "'I didn't know anything about that. I simply followed orders,' said the official, in a slightly apologetic tone. "'Well, officer, I suppose I can go?' broke in Elmer. "'I shan't hinder you. Only keep out of my territory.' Elmer exchanged a look of mutual understanding with Hiram and walked slowly away. He soon disappeared beyond a little thicket heading in the direction of the town and the railroad station. "'Well, officer,' spoke up Hiram, moving about the biplane to see that everything was in order. "'Well, lad,' returned the constable, "'I suppose it's in order for me to get back home after this fool's errand.' "'I'll be glad to take you back with me,' said Hiram. "'Humph!' and the constable shrugged his shoulders in a dubious way. "'I'm safe on the ground once more, thank goodness, and I reckon I'll stay here.' "'Oh, come ahead in the machine,' invited the young pilot. "'No capers, officer, honestly. "'I had to do some gliding to make you forget business till my friend was over the safety line, "'but I'll take you home steady as a pullman.' I promise you. No diver's suit, though, mind you. That isn't necessary, laughed Hiram. Just strap yourself in, and I'll give you a nice ride. By the time they got back to the aero grounds, the constable was as friendly as could be. He shook hands goodbye with Hiram and winked at him and chuckled to himself as he walked over to where the lawyer-like man and the disguised Vernon stood waiting for him. They had evidently seen the comet returning and had hastened to the grounds to hear the news. Hiram lingered, watching the group until they disappeared. Dave Dashaway came out of the hangar as the assistants ran the biplane towards it. Bright as a dollar, looking every inch the active, ambitious fellow his friends called him, the young airman regarded his assistant inquiringly and expectantly. "'You didn't wait for me,' observed Dave. "'No, I was in a hurry,' laughed Hiram. "'I suppose you know what was doing. "'I've heard something about a warrant for Elmer. "'I guessed out the plot. "'Mr. Brackett was here, quite worried.' "'He needn't be,' declared Hiram, reassuringly. "'There he is now.' "'It's all right, Mr. Brackett,' added Hiram, "'advancing to meet the wealthy manufacturer.' He didn't get Elmer, and what's more, he won't get him very soon. Dave Dashaway led the way into the little portable house adjoining the comet hangar where the boys slept nights. All sat down on camp stools. 
I hope this new trouble is not going to disturb your plans, spoke Mr. Brackett. Not a bit of it, replied Hiram. Elmer is safely out of the way, and everything is arranged to keep that miscreant Vernon from annoying him. Hiram recounted all that had transpired. The cloud of uneasiness passed from the brow of the president of the Interstate Aero Company. He smiled approvingly at the keen-witted narrator. Elmer will take a train and go right on to an arranged rendezvous, explained Hiram. He will be on hand for the start, Mr. Brackett. I shall start for Washington, announced the manufacturer. I want to see the comet begin the big race in which I feel Dashaway and his friends will win new laurels. Thank you for your confidence in us, said the young airman. I expect to deserve it. There's a reason you have given us a biplane that is a marvel. Yes, declared Hiram enthusiastically. There will be nothing in the field that can even begin to compare with a comet. Our hero and his assistant spent some time going over the splendid piece of mechanism after Mr. Brackett had gone away. The highest skill had been employed in the construction of the comet. From barograph to breeches buoy, it was as nearly perfect and thoroughly equipped as money and intelligence could make it. The biplane was of original design. It had a tube mechanism and universal bearing that were entirely new in the aviation field. The arrangements for gasoline, oil, and water had been the main consideration. The capacity for carrying extra weight, the second. The coverings were rubberized fabric. The machine had the very newest shock absorbers, and the double control system admitted of a manipulation that not only divided the operation work, but added to the safety of navigation. As to the superb balancing and self-writing powers of the comet, the boys had demonstrated these merits only the day previous. With a ripping crash, the machine had entered the perimeter of a corkscrew glide. Dave found the tilt so steep there seemed no chance to come out of the spiral. Hiram, in the second seat, by a deft, quick operation of the rudder control, changed the equilibrium. Dave did the rest, and the comet passed a hair-breadth ground swoop, clean as an acrobat. On account of the long flights necessary, probable landings in desert spots far from civilization, and the menace of supplies giving out, the comet had been constructed of a weight, breadth, and length that would admit of the utilization of a so-called ballast pit. This was located directly behind the seats. It was compactly filled at the present time, all ready for the start scheduled for a few days later. With every article cared for, and after a close calculation of the effect of dislodgement and replacement, the young aviator in command of the machine felt that he had mastered most of the details of the prospective trip around the world. Before Mr. Brackett had left them, he had made arrangements to join them at the Aero Meet at Sylvan Park, near Washington. There were some final details of the journey to arrange for after they reached the aviation field. 
So far as their present situation was concerned, however, the comet was all ready for the flight. The sky was clear, the stars shone brightly, and there was a gentle breeze entirely favorable to them as, about ten o'clock, the comet was quietly rolled out of the hangar. The young airmen purposely evaded any publicity as to their start on account of Elmer and his enemies. The two assistants waved them a hearty adieu, but stirred up no commotion. Within five minutes, the splendid piece of mechanism was speeding on its way for a point fifty miles distant. At Fordham, you said? remarked Dave, as they settled down to an even course of progress. Yes, just beyond the town. We all know the town it's right in our course, and I thought that the best place to have Elmer wait for us. The comet passed over half a dozen quaint little villages. Then it followed the railroad tracks, the signal lights operating as guides. They knew Fordham because they had made several trial spurts to and from the place. They passed its rows of street lights, slowed down, and the comet reached terra firma inside of the town baseball grounds. Hello! at once hailed them and Elmer came forward from a seat on the bleachers where he had been resting. Everything all right? As a trivet, pronounced Hiram. Been a slow wait, eh? Oh, I snoozed a little, replied Elmer. Lunched some, and had a hard time explaining my being here to a suspicious old watchman who looks after the grounds. Get aboard, directed Dave, and Elmer sank into the seat with a contented sigh. "'It's business now, I suppose,' he remarked. "'Say, fellows, it's a big thing we hope to do, isn't it?' "'Yes,' assented the sprightly Hiram. "'And I reckon we'll have seen some startling sights before we come this way again.'" End of chapter 3